Hey guys, I'm Billy Humphrey. <laughs> I'm Corey Russell. And this is Gripped, Awakening a Groan in a Generation for Revival and the Return of the Lord. We are on episode five of season four, and this whole season, we've been talking about intercession and end times. I'm loving it. And getting our hearts to that place where we've got might in our inner man, where we can stand at a time of trial and crisis yeah. that's coming on the earth. And we've been doing it from the basis of Psalm 2. And we've talked about how the, the, the whole setup of Psalm 2, it's in four different acts. And it's like each three verses as a new act of a play. And those first three verses, what we see there is the nations are plotting against yes. God, against Jesus, yes. against Israel. Yes. And they're raging with a satanically inspired rage. And in the next three verses, what we see is the, the scene shifts to the Father. And what we realize is though the nations are doing everything in their power to fight God, to stand against God, the most, the, the most insane idea, they're doing everything they can. The Lord is completely unintimidated. And he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Jeez. And how that can break forth in our hearts, we can see from his vantage point, it creates confidence in us in a way that nothing else does. And so that brings us to this episode. We want to look at verse 6, because verse 6, it really is the trip hammer yes, so for the rest of the passage, yes. and really for the unfolding of the drama of God, the, the fullness of the gospel. Yes. And so verse six, the Lord says, there's a reason why I'm laughing. I'm laughing at their plans because I've already chosen. I've already done it. I've already got the answer. I've already set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And that phrase, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, is loaded yes. with biblical understanding. Now, here's the thing we realize. So far this season, we have given, I mean, a depth of theology that maybe some of you have never even considered the things that we've said. We'd encourage you to go back, yes, listen again, absolutely. maybe do it in a time when you can take notes, put down the verses, read them for yourself, and go a little deeper. I know this is a podcast, but we want to give Bible. Yes. You know, we're not sitting here talking about, well, what did you feel about the newscast? I mean, you know that about us. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to be that guy. Go somewhere else for that. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of good ones. But we want to put something that's going to put a steel rod in your heart. Yes. A, a steel rod in your backbone. And so verse 6, the Lord goes, I've already made a selection. And, and I, I think of it this way. I think of it a couple ways because there's a couple levels. But these nations are raging, they're plotting, they're counseling. How can we overthrow God? How can we overthrow his king? And, and they go, we're gonna, it's almost like you can say, we're going to vote. They're, they're like, we're going to yes. vote. We're going to pick our own guy. Yes. Which is really what the nations do at the end of the age. They do pick their own guy, Antichrist. Yes. But God goes, actually, in this election, there's one vote. That's it. There's actually no other votes. There's one vote. It's mine. It's the only one that matters. And I've already voted. Yes. And I've already set my king on my holy hill. And he, and the point is, he will reign. He will reign. And then when we get to the next scene, he goes, Listen, king, ask me. Yes. Ask me, because I have a promise that I'm going to give to you. And we'll get into that in a moment. But I just, man, when I think about 
the father saying, my answer has already been yes. secured. It's already been in place. It, it does something in my heart. Victory explodes yes. in my yes. heart with verse six. I, I absolutely love it. I think the same way. They've cast all their votes. He goes, we've already had the vote. I've already made it. Things are already settled. <laughs> I've, I've already picked. Uh, there was one vote that mattered, actually. It's me. But my king, I've said, I always think about that old uh, preacher, S.M. Lockridge. That's my king. My king. Yeah. My oh, yeah, king. Yeah. He just goes yeah, off yeah, on yeah, my yeah, king. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, anyway, so I, I, I think, take us into this, Billy, because yeah. what, what what's going on right here? David... Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about David and yeah. this king and what this all means. There's a cosmic connection that's going on between earthly and heavenly Zion, first of all. So when he says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Yes. From heaven's perspective, God isn't looking at the separation between heaven and earth. He's saying there is a, there is a, 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 a connection between heavenly Zion and earthly Zion. And most of us don't even realize this, but heavenly Mount Zion is real. God is already set in heaven at the top of heavenly Zion. Yes, yes. And so when he looks down on earthly Zion, he's speaking cosmically and he's speaking of the connection between the two, the continuity between heaven and, and earth. And what is important about earthly Zion? Where is that? What is that? So earthly Zion is literally right it's within a mile of where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. It's actually right there. Yes. In fact, David had just set up the Tabernacle of David on earthly Zion. And there's a whole volume of understanding. But when David set up the Tabernacle of David, he set up live worship and prayer before the Ark of the Covenant. On earth, he sets up a worship environment on Zion that mirrors the worship environment on Zion. Get that, guys. There's heavenly Zion with night and day worship and prayer. David's whole life's ministry was about setting up a worship environment in ceaseless adoration on an earthly hill called Zion. So there would be this connection between the heavenly and the earthly, the glory of that place now manifesting in the glory of this place here. It's in that environment that David, staring into the glory of the ark, staring into the mysteries of the end of the age, seeing the unfolding drama, that David writes Psalm 2, verse 6, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. David's stand, he's sitting on Zion. Yes. With the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of God there, and it real, he, re, he realizes, oh my goodness, this king, the glory of God on the Ark, that's the king on Zion. It mirrors the king on Zion in the heavens, and it speaks to the future day when Jesus will return and will rule and reign from Zion. That has a volume of understanding that we have got to get around. Guys, this is the way the story ends. We don't turn into fat babies floating on clouds, wearing togas, playing harps. <laughs> I, I know cartoon end times gives us that idea, but this thing is going to, this age wraps up with Jesus Christ himself coming to this planet and ruling and reigning 
and he will again set up a worship sanctuary on earthly Zion, just like what David did. And I'm convinced as David was sitting there in front of the ark on earthly Zion, he's seeing that future day and saying, oh my goodness, God did it in my day. He's going to do it in that day. The end of this story is that Jesus Christ is coming to a planet near you very soon. He's going to rule and reign from Zion. So the plans of the kings of the earth make no difference at all. God has already chosen. This is, all right, we're just going to, I want to tease this out a little bit. And I want to ask questions and go back and forth with you. What, first thing that's hitting me as you're talking about this is, God's longing for mirror realities yes. on the earth. Continuity between Continuity, heaven Continuity, but there's, there's something about, and that's what I believe is what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Yes. Is this synergism, this union, synchronization between yes. heaven and earth. Yes, yes, This seamless union between the two. And the result of the fall is divorce. It's the chasm. It's the yes, gap. Yes, yes. And so what the- The gap the, between heaven and earth. yes. The gap between heaven and earth, God and man, yes, and man's ability to rightly take dominion over the earth, and the the story that you see, and what I'm thinking about is Moses on Mount Sinai, and the Lord, I mean, pretty much heaven descends on Mount Sinai, yes, the throne descends on Mount Sinai, yes. and the whole mountain set on fire. Moses goes into the glory for forty days, yes, all right, and the Lord, the, what, he comes out of it out in Exodus 25. The first words is. Let them make a sanctuary for me. I yes. want to dwell yes. among you. God's not just happy with being up there and saying, see you later. No, I want you to build a mirror. And, and we know from Hebrews, Moses saw the divine pattern. Yes, yes. And Moses built the heavenly pattern on the earth. Yes. One of the craziest things to me about Moses going up Sinai is it says he began to ascend Sinai. And then it says, and Moses ascended the mountain of the Lord. Golly. It became his mountain. It, as a mo there's a moment where he quit walking on earthly Ooh. Sinai and he started walking on Ooh. heavenly Zion because he saw the actual pattern in the heavens. He actually saw yes, the heavenly. Yes. And so <laughs> is this longing you feel in God? So he wasn't in Kansas anymore no, is the whole right. point. <laughs> <laughs> he was not in Kansas anymore. He saw the pavement. He saw the sapphire pavement. He even brought the elders up. They saw the feet of God. They sat on the blue pa pavement, they the see sapphire. The, they see the throne room from underneath because the throne room has now superimposed itself on the top of Sinai. All right. So <laughs> and God's longing. Look at this. Moses comes down from a 40-day encounter and they go, what did he say? He goes, let's take an offering because God wants to dwell in your midst. We're going to build it. God gave me a heavenly pattern. I saw the heavenly tabernacle. God wants an earthly mirror on the earth. Yes. Okay, so I see Moses, and now we're talking about David. Yes. David, this young boy who, you know, gets marked, who was already moving heaven before we met him in the yes, storyline. Yes, yes, Here he is, and, you know, when the kingdom stripped from Saul, he goes, I've found a man after my own heart. yes. And you've got this young boy in Bethlehem, son of Jesse, prophet Samuel anoints him, and he goes through his long journey. See, I believe David caught a vision in those early days. Yes, yes. Something laid hold of him about this reality, about the power of the presence of God. And, and something got a hold of him in his early days. And so he goes through all of his years 
of persecution, difficulty, trial, and he finally becomes king in Jerusalem. Yes. And the first thing he does is, we got to go get the ark. Yeah, we got to set up a tabernacle. There was a vow. There was something deep driving on the inside of David. Psalm 132. Yeah, we've got to, I want you to connect Psalm 132 with Psalm 2. So here's the thing. If you you don't understand Psalm 132, I mean, this is a really big statement. If you don't understand that Psalm, you do not understand David's life. I agree. Because David's agree. compelling life's vision is described in Psalm 132. David as a young man, I believe when he was about 20 years old, I believe when he was on the run from Saul yes. and, and he ran to Samuel and there's this divine encounter around yes. this, this three-week vis, uh, visitation that they had together. There's this divine oh. encounter. I believe it's in that place that David gets the vision Celebrate. to set up on earth a dwelling place for the presence. And David, as a young man at 20, he makes a vow. Yes. He says, I will not rest. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. I won't work on my own resting place is the idea. I will only work on getting a resting place for God. I will not rest. I will not give sleep to my eyelids until there is a dwelling place for God on the earth. Jesus. And this young man who's 20, he makes a covenantal vow with God that he will not stop, he will not change, he will not divert until God has a dwelling place. And he he does this at 20 when he's on the run, he's got no money, yes. he's got no means, he's got no people and no backing. Yes. And he makes a vow and he says, this is what I'm living for all my days, that there would be a glory manifestation on the earth in my generation. And so what happens is this young man makes this vow, lives his whole life under this end. And the the culminating moment is when he gets the ark, brings it into Zion, sets it in the tent that he'd already prepared turns to Asaph and the singers and says, okay, start now. He gives them Psalm 96, Psalm 105. They start worshiping in that moment and they never stop worshiping the entirety of David's kingship. And there are seven Old Testament kings that actually live practicing this night and day live worship and prayer before the Ark of the Covenant. It was the way that God set up the nation of Israel to function with his glory in the midst. So when David says, Psalm 2, verse 6, oh my gosh, the answer to the rage of the nations at the end of the age is what God's already set in motion, that he would have a dwelling place among yes. his people. He goes, he. I, I, I believe David is looking at it going, this ark right here dwelling on Zion is a picture yes. of Jesus in his return dwelling on Zion. How long did the tabernacle of David last? Yeah, 33 and a half years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It lasted the exact same age as Jesus. <laughs> yes. So the tabernacle of David is a picture of Jesus, God in the midst. And, and so, let, let me jump in right here. So David, we saw it with Moses. Now we see it with David. I want to put the ark. We're going to remove the veils. We're going to put yes. singers, musicians who will minister and prophesy before the glory, do 24-hour shifts, and they will minister before the glory. And David understood this is what would bring heavenly Zion to unite with earthly A convergence Zion. point. A convergence point. Yes. 
See, that's that's what David understood. This is what would attract God to bend down and to bring the two and make them one. And we see the fame of David's kingdom that ushered in the golden age into Solomon's. You have to catch this, that from that moment of sin in the garden, when there was a separation between God and man, a divorce between heaven and earth, God has been working throughout the ages to set up convergence points. Yes. We have the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. We have Sinai. Those are convergence points where heaven and earth, the lines got blurry and heaven was superimposed on earth. The tabernacle of David with the glory of God dwelling in the midst on the ark on Zion was a convergence point of glory. The temple of Solomon, a convergence point of glory. Watch this, day of Pentecost. The temple is no longer where the glory of God's residing because the veil of the temple is torn in two. Here are the 120. They're gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And just like at the dedication of Solomon's temple where fire Fire. fell, fire fire falls on Pentecost, he kisses the temple again, except for this time, the temple is us. Yes. The glory of God dwelling on the inside of us. It's us corporately, we're being built together as a dwelling place for God in the spirit and us individually, you have God on the inside of you. Yes. I skipped the most glorious convergence point. (laughs) Jesus. becoming a man. Jesus. (laughs) And the word was made flesh and and tabernacled tabernacled among among us. He gives us that (laughs) so we get Pentecost, so we get the church built together as a tabernacle of God in the spirit. And it's all pointing to this, the day when he reunites heaven and earth together where that convergence is finalized and fulfilled. And Psalm 2, verse 6, (laughs) (laughs) that she would know the mystery of his will, that in the fullness of times, he's going to gather together everything in heaven and everything on earth together in him. Ephesians 1, 10, and 11. Now keep going. Psalm 2, verse 6. Psalm 2, verse 6. David is seeing his current moment of the ark in a convergence point of heaven and earth looking into the future when that finality is being manifest. Jesus Christ himself will dwell again on the earth in his return on Zion. Yes. And heaven and earth will be in a convergence point as the Lord rules and reigns the nations from there. David's vow, Psalm 132, in that same season, 2 Samuel 7. Yes. Because David's got the tabernacle going on. Yes. He's sitting in this amazing house, and he looks at Nathan, and he goes, Nathan, he says, he goes, it's not okay. I'm out here in this amazing house. God's in a tabernacle. I want God to be fixed on the earth. Yeah, David's in a palace. God's in a tent. Yes. And David's heart vexes him. This is why you, this is what separates David from everybody else. David had, quote unquote, come into his destiny. And he was still not <laughs> at rest because his life wasn't about his destiny. It was about God's destiny. And those are the kind of people God's raising up in this hour. People who have a bigger vision than what they get from God, but what they can give God. Yes. And what he will have in the earth. And Nathan goes to sleep that night, and the Lord shows up to him, and he says, 
He goes, in essence, where did David get this? He goes, I've never told anybody about this. Exactly. I've never asked anybody to build me a house. I never told him in Egypt when they came out. I never, when we were traveling, I've never asked anybody. He goes, this is what I want you to tell David. I've been with him since he was a young boy. And I want you to know I've given him a name. I'm going to make, I'm making him great among the nations. I want you to tell him I'm going to establish Israel and that the sons of wickedness will oppress them no more. And oh, by the way, he wants to build me a house. I want you to tell him I'm going to build him a house and that his house and his throne is going to live forever. And there will never lack a man who will sit on his throne. And in that moment, whatever was in the heart of David provoked something in God. Yes, It provoked God to, I call it, drop the ace card (laughs) of saying, I've been waiting for the one who would come through the tribe of Judah. Because we know the scepter's coming out of Judah. Yes. There's going to come a king out of Judah. He goes, I found my king. And because the, the cry that's on the inside of you, I want you to know my son is going to become your son. Yes. And, and he's going to sit on your throne forever. This provokes something. It's one of the holiest moments in all of Scripture is the Davidic covenant. And I believe David's seeing the ark. Yes. I believe he's seeing the coming ark, which is Jesus, yes. his grandson, and he's seeing the fullness of the times when that man is back on the earth ruling and reigning from Mount Zion. Yes. Psalm 132 is written by Solomon at the dedication yes. of the temple. Yes. And Solomon says, God, don't forget David, don't forget my dad and how he swore to you that he would not rest. He gave a vow to the Holy One of Jacob that he would give no sleep to his eyes and slumber to his eyelids. He goes, don't forget my dad. And he goes through the whole thing of David's trials and everything he's walked through. And then by about verse 11, it says, and the Lord swore to David. When David swore that he wouldn't rest until the glory of God was manifest in his generation, the Lord meets David and says, and I swear to you, David, You'll never lack a king on the throne. And from your line, there'll be a line of kings and there'll be one who reigns forever. The seed that I promised Abraham, it's going to come through you. The seed that I promised to Eve, it's going to come through you. I mean, we've all received nice prophecies, but have you ever, I mean, can you conceive of the prophecies that says, God will be your great, 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 great grandson. There was something that David touched and that David moved David goes God's after heart. this. He goes, who am I? Who am I? That I could be <laughs> anything before you. Guys, we know this is jumping in the deep waters. But guys, I want you to wrestle over this. I want you to see the storyline unfold. My king. My hill. My hill. And guys, it's all coming down to my king and my hill. The king that the father's chosen the hill on which he's going to ride and which he's going to rule from. Friends, I just ask you, Father, release revelation in the name of Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen.